All right, fans, the great Matt Doherty joins us in today's episode of The Greatest Games. We are super excited to bring this episode to you. Just a heads up, we did have some audio difficulties throughout this one, but if you bear with us, there's a ton of great content that Coach brings in this episode. He talks a lot about his book, Rebound, From Pain to Passion, that just came out in early March. It is a recommended read by Chris and I. Uh, it is, it's chock full of just basketball stories, leadership lessons, and he is very open and honest about his leadership journey. So we definitely encourage you to check out Rebound from Pain to Passion wherever you get your books. And we are trying an experiment. We are going to re release this episode on Wednesday and do an episode on next Wednesday as well. We did get some feedback from listeners that said, hey, we'd love to have one episode a week, two, maybe a little bit overwhelming for us. So we're going to try one episode per week for the next several weeks. And listen, it's NCAA basketball time, both for the men's and the women's, so we don't want to overload you with media anyway. So we're going to go ahead and try one episode per week for the next couple of weeks. But in the meantime, be sure to check out teachhoops.com slash 816basketball for incredible content to learn and grow as a coach during the offseason. And if you haven't checked it out already, check out the Competitive Mindset Podcast from our good friend Billy Kegler on social media at competitive pod and finally you've heard us talking about takuma letsum and his fight against als head on over to our twitter at 816 basketball on twitter find the gofundme link there donate to this great family this great man as he is battling als Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio. Thank you, Brian. Pleasure to be here as always on the Greatest Games Podcast. A chance for us to catch up with basketball coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their greatest games. As always, it can be their time as an AAU coach, a college coach, a high school coach, a JV coach, just whatever game they consider to be their greatest. You know, maybe they've won a, I don't know, played for and, and won a national championship as a player. Maybe they were the uh, national coach of the year as named by AP. You know, maybe they, they maybe out there, they're doing executive coaching, traveling the country, writing books. Who knows? But I tell you what, Chris de Blasio, that is our guest today. We are super excited to have the author of Rebound joining us today on the Greatest Games podcast. And he's gonna, we're going to hear a lot more about his journey. But Coach Matt Doherty, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's uh, fun to be on this show. I think you should call it oil and water. You got a guy from South Carolina that has this proper accent, and you got this Italian guy from New Jersey. Uh, I mean, it's like, or, or call it the toll road or I-95. Or <laughs> I like uh, I think what he's trying to say, Chris, is that I'm the star of the show. I'll that's, take that. That's what it that's sounds like. Coach Doherty, for the 10 years I lived in South Carolina, nobody ever mistook me for being from there naturally. They always knew I was from somewhere north yeah. of there. No, no. <laughs> no, no. It, it was a great way to meet women, though, I'm sure. Right, Chris? You, you throw yeah, out that so. accent. You, you kind of talk with your fingers like this. <laughs> you probably get to meet a lot of a lot of Southern Bells, no? Well, listen, you brought that Long Island attitude down to down to rural North Carolina years ago with guys like Coach Fogler and your old high school coach, Bob McKillop, you know, all That's those Long Island guys. About. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, I'm talking about my, the experience, you know. you got to take advantage of what you can take advantage of. 
Well, Coach, uh, quickly, when we start off, just like quickly, if you want to give us a brief overview of your journey in coaching and, and kind of just your your overall resume as a coach. Well, um, my uh, journey has a lot of stops, and that's not always good, right? <laughs> um, I, I didn't start off in coaching. I, I kind of fell into it. I moved to Charlotte to get in a real estate business in 1989. 1988, something like that. And then uh, Bob McKillop became the head coach at Davidson. And Bob was my high school coach on Long Island. I was doing the radio at Davidson. So the timing was right. And Bob hired me and I was there for three years. Um, we had tough three years, but finally got some good recruits in and Bob did a great job coaching. And by that time I had left to go to Kansas as an assistant for Roy Williams I was there for seven years and then um, got the Notre Dame job, which is my first head coaching job, which is a great opportunity. You know, it's it kind of weird because there were some jobs I thought I should get or thought I would get. And I did turn a couple down. And you wonder if you're going to get the right opportunity. And then Notre Dame came along and it was the right opportunity. It was a perfect fit for an Irish Catholic kid from New York. And was there a year, thought I'd be there forever. And then uh, Bill Guthridge retired and Roy Williams turned it down. And um, you know, I was recruited to come home. And I took the job and first year we had a great year, uh, ranked number one in the country, won the AP Coach of the Year Award. And two years later, I was forced to resign and um, went on a little bit of a leadership journey, which I talk about in the book rebound from pain to passion. And then I started coaching again at FAU in Florida and then uh, at SMU in Dallas and then got let go there after about six years and um, got into the NBA in front office. And then really I miss coaching. And, and that's kind of why I do the executive coaching now. I, I do, I coach executives because I, the thing that I learned on my leadership journey was that leadership is not formally taught, yet it's the most important topic out there. And so when I was going through my leadership journey, um, I was like, you know, I can't believe that assistant coaches, assistant ADs aren't taught leadership. There's no formal training, but yet it's the most important topic out there. So, uh, uh, that's why I became passionate about leadership. You know, coach, we, we've talked about this on this show uh, with several guests that have been uh, high level, high division one assistant coaches, and they're just waiting for their opportunity to be a head coach. And there's no disrespect to them, but when they do get that head job, it's their first head job ever. And just to your point about this leadership discussion and, you know, there, there's, I'm sure professional development that their schools are doing out here, there and yonder, but to be a head coach at the high division one level after never being a head coach anywhere, to me, it's just very interesting. I don't, I'm not saying it's good or bad, right or wrong. It's just very interesting, but I've, I've, I've listened to a couple of podcasts that you've been on as a guest and you talk about the AAU team that you coached that uh, when you moved to Charlotte and you just fell in love with coaching, you, you felt energized by coaching those kids. 
So my question to you is what was the, what was energizing for you and what was the why when it came to coaching for you, especially that first job with those kids? Well, um, yeah, I didn't know if I, I didn't think I wanted to coach. I, I think I was still recovering from the fact that I felt, um, that basketball left me like a, a relationship, like a spouse, a girlfriend leaves you. And I was like, I don't want anything to do with basketball. But when I went to Charlotte, a friend of mine I was working for part-time had an AAU team and asked me to coach it. And it just fit. I mean, you know, I love the planning of practice. I like to organize things. I like to direct things. I felt I knew the game. Um, I felt I could teach and give back. And it was energizing. Uh, I loved picking the kids up. I loved dropping them off. I liked to get to know them. I liked being around them. I liked the competition. There wasn't anything I didn't like about it. And uh, the timing was right. And, and as I said, then Bob McKillop got the job and offered me a position. But I just, it wasn't work. You know, when I worked on Wall Street after college, I was working eight to five. And that was work. You know, when I got to Davidson and started coaching, I'd work 12 hours a day, seven days a week, and it wasn't work. You know, it didn't feel like work. And, you know, and that, that was really a blessing for me. Coach, you talked a little bit about it. Brian sort of talked about it. It was a question I had about leadership. And, and I see this a lot in college coaching where I think – I don't know how to say this. I think guys get too big of jobs too early and they haven't had a chance to develop their style of leadership. Whereas you were an assistant coach and you were an assistant coach with two great head coaches and excellent programs, but your first head coaching job was at Notre Dame. And then a year later, you're the head coach at North Carolina, which everybody knows is, you know, one of the flagship programs of college basketball. Do you think that happens to some of these guys that they almost get, too big a job too soon and maybe they should start off on a lower level as a head coach to develop those skills? Yeah, I, I think so. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, almost like an apprentice program, but it's hard. It's hard to, you know, you, you know, you look at the Duke assistants, you look at me, you look at, you know, I mean, Quinn Snyder's first job was Missouri. Tommy Amaker's first job was Seton Hall, then Michigan. Um, my first job was Notre Dame, then North Carolina. Mike Bray started out of Delaware, then went to Notre Dame. And, and I remember hearing a quote that he said, you know, um, it was nice to make my mistakes in front of a small crowd, basically. And there's a lot to that. I think that um, – you know, the, the, the ego is real. Um, you want the, you're used to the best. You think you can do it. It's not so much the X's and the O's. It's the other things that can trip you up. It's not planning the practice and, and running a practice. It's not even the games. It's the management of the other things, the delegation, the hiring, the staff, the, the managing the staff, the dealing with the other administrators, 
dealing with the other coaches in the athletic department, the politics. And, and that's what I really, a big part of the book that I wrote was I wanted to teach people to avoid the landmines that I stepped on. What was it specifically about leadership? Why, why that word? Was it, was it when you had to resign from North Carolina? I believe you went and took some classes at Wharton. You know, most coaches go and play golf with a year off. Maybe they get a severance package. Yeah. You went to Wharton, the most exclusive business school in the country. <laughs> yeah, well, I, 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 I took a one-week class there. I don't want you to act like I went for two years. <laughs> I, I would have loved to, but um, I think that the thing that people, they question my leadership when, when, I was re when I resigned. They had a press conference, and they, they really – drag me over the coals and question my leadership. So a friend of mine, John Black, who I write about in the book, Rebound, you know, had a recommendation that I go meet with an executive coach at UVA that he worked with and take advantage of the year off and, and to show ADs and other people that are going to say, hey, what did you do with that time? What did you learn? How did you get better? And I think as a coach and as a player, most coaches and most players, when they lose a game or have a bad year, they study the film and try to learn from the, the losses. And that's what I try to do. So when I was sitting in the class at Wharton, we were learning about emotional intelligence. And I had never heard of emotional intelligence in, until 2003. And the book we were reading from, Primal Leadership, The Art of Emotional Intelligence, had a sentence in there that said, leadership is a learned behavior. And that was the most exciting thing I ever read. Because at that point, I wasn't sure I was good, could be a good leader. Because I was from the school of, you're either a good leader or you're not. I thought I was, but now I'm being told I'm not. So I lost confidence. But that sentence gave me confidence. And that's why leadership became my passion. It went from the pain of not being a good leader to studying it, going on a leadership journey, and leadership becoming my passion. I love, I love the journey. And, and fans, if you haven't already picked up a copy of Rebound, please do that. It's available at Amazon, anywhere books are sold. Uh, Coach, I picked up the Kindle version and just been have been inundated for the last several days just reading and reading. And, and uh, Blas knows that I'm a reader. My fans know that I'm a reader, but I really could not put it down, uh, especially just the stories after stories. If Just basketball, basketball interlaced with leadership in your journey. I think it's a beautiful thing. We'll talk more about the book as we go. But there was – there was one story in there. You talk about getting the phone call from University of North Carolina. Uh, you're at Notre Dame. Like you said earlier, it's a perfect fit for you. Irish Catholic guy coaching at Notre Dame. And I think it was on the plane when you in the book where you said something just doesn't feel right. Something just doesn't feel quite right. Um, and so what do you mind taking a deeper dive on that? Um, was it something that uh, was it a series of events where, I don't know, the plane had a light that came on, we had to, had to land the plane real quick, or was it just a series of things, or was it just, was it just a feeling that you had that just wasn't, just wasn't quite right? 
Well, I, I think I think the moment might be on the flight from visiting UNC. I said to my wife, I said, I could be the head coach at North Carolina or the head coach at Notre Dame. And that great choices often lead to stressful decisions. I mean, people think it's it's nice, right? You have these great options. Oh, you can be the head coach at North Carolina, head coach at Notre Dame. I'm on a private plane flying back from Chapel Hill with my wife. But sometimes when you have great options, it, it makes it for a difficult decision. And it was a very difficult decision to leave Notre Dame. And, you know, there are times I regretted that decision terribly. Uh, but um, I love Notre Dame. I still do. I love their players, love the institution. I was only there a year, but, uh, you know, Mike Bray's been good to me. Um, and so have some of the administrators. It's a special place. And, um, you know, Mike Bray's done a great job there. So my point was, it's sometimes tough. Like, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> you know, sometimes <laughs> sometimes when you get good options, it, it makes for a tough decision. Coach, I'm just, you mentioned this book, Primal Leaders, Primal, Leader, Primal Leadership, Realizing the Power of Emotional Intelligence. Right. And I'm, I'm just reading quickly about the book. I Googled it. And two of the things I liked in here, they said there's four, four domains of emotional intelligence. And I think two of the ones maybe, maybe you focused on a little bit when, or you could tell us about, or the first two he writes about are self-awareness and self-management. Was there something about yourself or your style that you didn't like when you learned about these and read that book? about self-awareness and self-management that you thought you had to change or, or might be good to change or to, to reflect on? Well, I think the first thing, and I write about this, um, the six no's of leadership, I call it, and, the, and I jokingly say named after a kid I recruited named Stevitt, uh, because we all need acronyms and, and, and stories to remember things. But the first thing, the acronym STEVIT, the S stands for self, know yourself. And that goes to the self-awareness part you just mentioned. You know, we, we often, we all have blind spots and we think we know them, but we don't. Unless we do a real deep dive in self-awareness and we surround ourselves with truth tellers. And I talk about the T the second T in Stevitt is mining for the truth. It's so important to mine for the truth because sooner or later the truth will surface. And if you don't manage the truth, the truth will manage you. So the self-awareness was huge for me. Um, and then the self-management is something that you always work on. Um, there's a good guy named Tim Kite, who's a good follow on Twitter. E plus R equals O, and I do write about it in, in Rebound, where E is the event, R is your reaction, and O is the outcome. And this was something I worked on after I left North Carolina, is 
you know, we're conditioned as athletes to react quickly. And I saw, uh, you know, if you watch Maryland play Michigan, when Juwan Howard reacted quickly to Mark Turgeon and got kicked out of the game. Well, I have done that. I, I've done that. And you've got to react slowly. Was that a smart thing as a leader to get kicked out of a game? Probably not. So as a young head coach, you know, Juwan's old, but, you know, if he had to do it again, would he have done the same thing? Maybe he would say he would, but I would coach him to say, react slowly. The only thing we control is the R in that formula. E plus R equals O. See, the event occurs. The play on the court, Mark Turgeon says something, he reacts, he gets tossed out of the game. If he reacts slower, he may have gotten his point across, maybe gotten one technical, but not two, and still been able to coach his team. Right. So, you know, that self-management critical. And when I got to coach at FAU, I told my assistant Rex Walters that if I feel like I'm getting ready to get fired up and I grab the bridge of my nose, you take over practice and I'm going to walk to the other end of the gym. That's self-management. That's emotional maturity that I didn't have when I first started coaching. Rex Walters, Brian, I believe Rex Walters was the first uh, Asian American to play in the NBA. Am I correct about that, coach? That's a that's a great question, you know, Coach. One you know, of the careers. I mean, Chris, 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 Chris. If you're gonna throw something like that out there, you got to have the answer, man. Like, <laughs> like if you did that, to Coach Bolton, he would have crushed. Oh, absolutely, you. without a doubt. <laughs> I mean, like, don't throw that out there. Then you you put me in a bad spot. You put yourself in a bad spot. And and Brian doesn't want any part of it. Brian's got his hands up. He's like. No, no, I didn't touch him, ref. I didn't touch him. You know, I don't know. He, he might be right. I, I believe I had heard that one time. I used to watch Rex play with the New Jersey Nets, obviously, when I was a kid. Uh, coach, it's really – right, well, I like I challenge that. You, Chris, I, I challenge you, the next time Brian's asking a question, you Google it. <laughs> okay. Uh Let's go ahead and do that now because I can feel it in Chris's energy that he's Googling away. You know, Coach, you, there's so much in your book that I don't want to ask you about, but I want our fans to read it first, and then maybe we can have you back in a few months and we can ask more questions after folks have read it. But you talk a lot about compassion and you talk a lot about forgiveness. Um, and I think they're very key in, in your journey as, as you laid out in your book and as you're, in your stories. Uh, talk to me about do you have any, cause I'm asking, honestly, I'm asking for myself because I struggle with it a lot too. And, and, and driving into that, that river that you talk about uh, in the book, but how do you forgive? What practices do you have that you found that have been helpful around forgiveness and about compassion for others and compassion for yourself? Yeah, I think, um, I think it goes back to that E plus R equals O because usually it happens, right? Like that. A big, you know, um, you've got to learn to pause and then say, you know, hey, that person didn't mean that. Forgive them or, 
you know, don't go after their throat. Just show some class. Take the high road. And, you know, really same a prayer of forgiveness. You know, if somebody really you feel it's really cutting deep, the best thing I've found to do is forgive them. And some people find it too hard to do. But I say this, if Jesus could forgive the people that nailed him, us, we can forgive somebody that slighted us, you know, in the street, in the, in the office, um, professionally, whatever it may be. And then I do think that the hardest person to forgive is ourselves. I know for me, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist and I want, I hate making mistakes or leaving, leaving Notre Dame. I mean, a lot of people say, oh, do you ever regret? Yeah, I, I do regret. I mean, would I make the same decision? I don't know. If I did, would I handle it differently? Yeah, I would. But that doesn't do me any good living in the past. And that's the triggers that I have to manage and kind of put blinders on and say, all right, I'm keeping two wheels, two hands on the wheel. I'm driving over the bridge. It's, it's a low bridge with a lot of winding roads and no, no guardrails. And when somebody says something like that to you or the selection show was today, right? March is a month of triggers for Matt Doherty, right? Because that was a big part of my life since I was in, oh, golly, sixth grade, eighth grade. And um, so now it's hard to watch. It's exciting, but it's hard to watch because I want to be there. You know, somebody else is there. I'm not there. <clears throat> so you've got to kind of put those blinders on, forgive, and have it front of mind that um, you're self-aware and you can't get drive off the, the bitter river, but drive off the bridge into the bitter river. Coach, I got a, a quick follow up. That that perfectionism, you're you're talking to a perfectionist here uh, as as a co-host of this show. Um, somebody that beats, I beat myself up when I make a mistake, when I don't live up my own expectations. I I will just go down that road of just beating myself up, and I for I still don't know where that comes from. Chris Newton, you, my dad, God rest his soul, was the most gentle man in the world. My mom is the sweetest Southern lady you'll ever meet, and they never expected me they never they, i just had the best childhood and yet i'm still at 41 years old when i make a mistake i'm like oh why did i do that what i have no idea where it comes from are you aware of anywhere it came from for you just that that perfectionism for you you know i don't know um it could have come from my mother she was she was very organized and neat um you know i think my sisters were that way you know, we were kind of Catholic education, you know, kind of making sure that everything's organized. But I think at the end of the day, you're either wired that way or you're not. You know, I think part of it is conditional and part of it is just the way you're wired. And, you know, I think it's served on a lot of fronts, but there are times I wish I didn't care as much, mm -hmm. you know, but I do. 
And so that's where you have to have some compassion, some grace in the leadership program that I'm working with. It's called Vistage. And I have an executive coach that helps me build my practice. And um, something slipped through the cracks the other day. And she said, hey, you got to give yourself some grace. You've been busy with a book launch and you've been busy with this. And I'm like, how about? That, yeah, maybe I should give myself some grace. Um, but, you know, that's not the way I was wired. I, was, I, I never like things slipping through the cracks. Like, never. Because I felt Bob, who's a dear friend to this day, you know, he has a quote, sloppiness gets you beat. And I'm, I'm afraid that if I let one thing slide, then I'll let, let another thing slide and all of a sudden becomes a trend. And I don't want to, I don't want to be on that trend. I want to be on this trend. Sloppiness gets you beat, Brian. I love it. I'm using it next year with my team. Chris, was Rex the first, Chris, Chris, was Rex Walters the first Asian American to play in the NBA? What I could find is that he was the first Asian American to play in the NCAA Final Four. It does not say that. He was the first Asian American to play in the NBA, but that he was a pioneer for other Asian Americans like Jeremy Lin. All right, I'll get you the real so answer you, here. I, I got to do your work. You kill his number. Call the guy up. Kill him. Let's... <laughs> Let me kill him. Hold on a second. Next question. Ask the next question. Let me dial Rex. <laughs> I love it, Coach. I love the self awareness part. I always love to tell the story. If you, I'm sure you've probably seen it a couple of years ago. Chris Heron did that documentary on ESPN about all his troubles, and he, at the end of the documentary, he talked about how he always. Oh, I've got Mo and Larry here. For questions <laughs> on on a pop. All right, hold on a sec. Yeah, I'm joking. They're they're, they're Brian and Chris. All right. Now, Chris asked me a question about wasn't Rex Walt? Chris is in New Jersey. He was a Net fan. <laughs> what, they both worked in South Carolina for Eddie Fogler and, and, and uh, Dave Odom. So Chris asks me, wasn't Rex the first Asian-American to play in the NBA? I said, no. No, speak no, up. No, who no, who no, was? I don't, a full blooded Japanese guy that played um, before my time. I, I, I don't know what his name is, but he played like played for the New York Knicks, something like that. Gotcha. So I'd have to look up his name. I was the first really good one. You, <laughs> there you go. There you go, coach. Yeah, I like it. I like it. <laughs> it's, uh, is he still there? Did you hear him? Did you hear Rick? Yeah, yeah, Rex? But like I said, it says he was the first Asian American to play in the final four, Rex. That's what it said. You were the first Asian American to play in the final four. Well, that might be true. And if you look <laughs> back, if you look at my numbers, you'll be really impressed. All right. Hey, wait a second. I thought this freaking podcast was about me and my book. It what is. the hell is going it on is. here? You, I get, you I, called Rex. I didn't call him. <laughs> You asked a dumb question. <laughs> Golly, these guys. 
as as coach is wrapping up that phone call with rex walters we're we're gonna have to send coach uh coach walters a, a direct message and and get him on the show so he can we, we can talk about uh everything and, and if he was the Appreciate best player it, who, who knows but uh, we'll have to get, <laughs> get him back on the show hey you need to buy the book if you're listening you need to buy the book it's excellent <laughs> so um uh, anyway. go ahead coach promote right. the book sell the book right this now thing this thing is a major this thing took a major turn. It took a major turn, but I think it's the most entertaining podcast you guys have ever had. Oh, Got to be. No doubt. No doubt. No doubt. Well, I, well listen, Coach, I'm not going to doubt that, but we did have Phil Martelli on. I know you know Coach Martelli, and he is just effervescent in his personality. You know Coach Martelli is just, you know, he, he explodes. And we did have Larry Shiat curse twice on the podcast, which was amusing. <laughs> Oh, Larry can kiss my butt. <laughs> Ask him why he called a timeout with 10 seconds to go. Oh, no, wow. I, I, Larry wow. and Phil are both. We're, we're good friends with Larry's son, yeah. Jeremy. He worked with us in South Carolina, so we know Jeremy yeah. really well, his oldest son. Well, Larry Larry calls uh, one of my a great ACC story, and again, it's in the book. Um, we're number one in the country my first year at North Carolina we go into Clemson and uh they end up being up 10 with a uh, up 10 with 10 seconds to go and he calls timeout <laughs> he goes up into the stands and hugs his wife I'm pissed <laughs> off right <laughs> Like who calls who calls timeout with ten seconds to go up ten? <laughs> so after the game, we shake hands. Ironically, it was the day Dale Earnhardt died, and okay. um, I said to my team in the locker in the huddle, I said, "We'll get a chance to pay him back." Two weeks later, three weeks later, we're playing him in the first round of the ACC tournament, and we beat him by. 20 something. And I go, <laughs> I go to shake his hand after the game. And I said, Hey, Larry, <clears throat> with 10 seconds to go, I asked my staff, I should call timeout. And they said, No. And, and he went ballistic. And um, <laughs> so we had a little feud for a while there. And uh, now we're, now we're, you know, we're, we're, we're very friendly. Um, <laughs> he's a good guy. I like, but you know, one of those things. Coach, you hear to tell stories. Uh, we had coach Odom on the podcast and he told a great story when he first got to UVA to be an assistant with Terry Holland and they go in to play you guys. And, uh, Holland says before the game, they're going to do the pregame intro. So he goes, don't look down at the North Carolina bench. He goes, because they're going to introduce five All-Americans. <laughs> <laughs> and Dave said, I looked down and they introduced Michael Jordan, All-American, Matt Doherty, All-American, Sam Perkins, how you All-American, McDonald's All-American. <laughs> yeah, but they did have Ralph Sampson, who wasn't a bad player. Yes, yeah, he was pretty good. <laughs> Coach, why don't you tell us yeah. tell us about a great game? Tell us about a great game you were a part of as a coach. Uh, I know you were a part of plenty of Kansas and, and in North Carolina, maybe one at Notre Dame. Give us a game that comes to mind that was just an amazing game to be part of as a coach. 
Well, I think there was, I've been blessed to be a part of several, um, certainly at Kansas under Roy Williams. But my first head coaching job at Notre Dame, my first game was at Ohio State. They were ranked fifth in the country. It was on national TV. A week prior, we had lost to uh, an exhibition game to a team that they beat by 25. We lost by 25. And, you know, I ran the team pretty hard. I talk about this in the book Rebound. And um, a few days later, five days later, a week later, we go into Columbus to a packed house on ESPN, our first game as the coach coaches at Notre Dame, and we beat Ohio State on a last-second shot. That was pretty cool. Yeah, that's uh, it, it's it's incredible, especially I know you talk about March being this time of year where it can be a difficult time of year. Uh, but for games like that, we, we know they're going to be going to be more games and more games that people are going to be talking about uh, coming up here soon. And, um, you know, coach, we, we, we've talked a lot about uh, we've asked a lot of questions about the book. Um but we'd love for you to tell all of our listeners more about the book, something that we haven't touched on yet, uh, more about the Doherty coaching practice, how folks can get in touch with you. The floor is yours to, to promote the book and anything that you have going on here. I appreciate it. Um, I, I really wrote the book because, as I said earlier, I think leadership is the most important topic that's not formally taught. And that, you know, Leadership is a skill. Um, I call it the Darty coaching practice. Um, and you need to practice it. And it's hard. It's hard to get those reps. And then how do you get those reps on film? How do you get to have a coach that can coach you through these reps? And that's what I do now. I work for a company called Vistage. It's the oldest and largest executive coaching firm in the world. And I work with young, not, not necessarily young, but uh, leaders from small to mid-sized companies. Because, you know, there's so many landmines that you can step on. And if you're around other leaders and you have an executive coach that can help you make better decisions, then you'll have a better company. You'll be a better leader. You'll have better returns. And that's what it's all about. Uh, people say, oh, I don't have time for that. I remember I said that when I first started working with an executive coach. You can't not, not make the time. You've got to make the time because leadership's the most important thing we all do, not just in business or in coaching, but in your home, your community, in your church, wherever that may be. The world needs better leaders. And I think that, uh, you know, the executive coaching is fulfilling work for me because now I do have a team again and to make an impact and help people learn and grow, get better, and um, drive better results is, is a very rewarding experience, just like when you get a former player to say, thank you, you know, thank you for coaching me. Thank you for helping me become a better 
player and a better person. Well, again, folks, the, the, the book is Rebound from Pain to Passion. Michael Jordan actually wrote the foreword of it. Not going to give anything away that he says in that. It's, it's a fascinating read. Uh, CoachMattDarty.com has everything you need to know about everything that Coach is getting into. Coach, it's, it's, been, it's been an honor, a privilege to have you on the show. And I guess it's a selfish ask, you know, as a high school athletic director, I might just need to uh, see if we can get a, 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 some sort of a deal to get you down to Columbia, South Carolina to work with some Ridgeview High School coaches one day. But uh, that, that would be a lot of fun. But we really appreciate you doing this with us. You know, I, I can do it via Zoom. Uh, and once COVID clears, you know, I can come down there. It's only about a two-hour drive from where I live in, in the north side of Charlotte. So be glad to do it. T-neck is another story. Not sure <laughs> I'm getting back to T-neck anymore. Well, Gio, well, well, are you any relation to the, to the mayor? I am not. And that is the worst <laughs> question I get in my life oh, every good. day. Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> because talk about leadership lessons. Come on now. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> Well, Him and the governor of that state. <laughs> Whoa. It's, uh, yeah. That's another topic. That's another podcast. There are a lot of things going on up All there right. in the great state of New York. But uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. For my co-host, Chris de Blasio, I'm Brian Rosefield, and thank you for listening to this episode of The Greatest Games. <laughs>